Ahoy, fellow pirates. It's your inglorious host, Scott Newman, and you're listening to 27 Rouge. Anyone not living under a rock knows there's been quite a craze recently over crypto and NFTs and all that good stuff. Words like decentralization, shitcoin, Bitcoin, and blockchain get passed around our everyday conversations like a bottle of Everclear in a fraternity house. There's a dark side to crypto, though, and a whole murky world that often gets forgotten about and all the pomp and glamour and gold rust-like speculation of all this stuff. Today's guest is Jonathan Carlson, an economist at the University of Western Australia who published a particularly interesting paper in 2019 called Sex, Drugs, and Bitcoin, How Much Illegal Activity is Financed Through Cryptocurrencies. In January of 2022, we sat down and talked about everything from illegal darknet transactions related to drugs and weapons to shadow coins, crypto pricing, regulatory approaches to some of this illegal activity, and the mighty ducks. We also got into his methodology, touching on network cluster analysis and detection-controlled estimation. Finally, we talked about the future and where we, and blockchain, might go from here. This week's episode is dedicated to Jim Morrison, for reasons that have nothing to do with John, Jim, or anything discussed. Why the dedication, then? Because I want to, and because I can. Happy listening. Welcome. I'm sitting down today with Jonathan Carlson, who is a lecturer of finance at the University of Western Australia and also an affiliate of the Digital Finance Cooperative Research Center. Welcome, John. Thank you. So in 2019, you wrote a paper called Sex, Drugs, and Bitcoin, How Much Illegal Activity is Financed Through Cryptocurrencies. Talk to me a little bit about what you set out to investigate and what you found. Right. So we set out to investigate an area of especially Bitcoin, but also cryptocurrencies as a whole, which is the illegal side of them. And what we found was that a sizable proportion of the activity in particular Bitcoin is legal. Around a quarter of all users in the Bitcoin network at the time of our, mm. our measurement uh, is illegal. And 50% of all the transactions and volume is illegal. So a very, very big size of illegal activity. Relative to the Bitcoin usage as a whole, which is being used as a sort of example of, of, of yeah. the whole crypto market at large. And I have to ask before before we continue here, you know, you wrote this paper, you submitted it anyway, five years ago in 2017. So some people might ask whether it's still relevant or whether the EAP research is antiquated. You know, what what would you say to that? Well, I'd say that that, that is partly true. We could rerun the analysis and see what it's looking like today. But thankfully, a lot of other companies have come forth and started doing a lot of analysis on this. For instance, uh, the company called Chain Analysis mm. that uses some of the similar, similar techniques to look at different cryptocurrency networks have seen a dramatic increase in darknet market activity. So I would argue that if I were to rerun my analysis today, I'd find a sizable or a much bigger size of illegal activity than, than I found back then. Another another key aspect is that when I did run my analysis or when we ran our analysis, we were focusing on Bitcoin. And since then, there have been quite a few cryptocurrencies that have popped up that have the sole intent of obfuscating the user's mm. activity. So-called private coins. Private coins, exactly, or shadow coins. Mm. Uh, Monero is a very popular one, uh, but they become better and better at hiding, uh, hiding the user's activity. And could you just describe to us a little bit what a private coin actually is? So when you have a Bitcoin, it occupies a specific piece of the blockchain or it has a space on the blockchain. But how does a private coin operate? What's like the secretive side of it? 
Right. So the secretive side of it is that they have put in extra measures to to, to make the user's activity uh, secret. Right. Um, so for Bitcoin, for instance, the only... I guess the only thing that really keeps the the user secret is that all you see are what's called addresses. Mm -hmm. They would look a lot like bank accounts if Mm -hmm. you're looking at a normal financial system, but you can't tell if those different accounts belong to one user or several. And also you don't know who those accounts belong to. And in that network, what what they they use is also these things called tumbling services where Mm -hmm. people can hide their transactions or hide their addresses among others. But today, these these new cryptocurrencies, these privacy coins, they have the the intent of of hiding the user's activity for criminal activity, which, to my knowledge, for the in, express purpose, exactly, they're designed exactly. for for illicit yeah. de- dealings. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Okay. Correct, yeah. Um. I guess you know one question I'm curious about, and I think the audience is going to be curious about, is you know we have a title like sex, drugs, and Bitcoin, um, how much illegal activity is financed through cryptocurrencies, what kinds of illegal activity were you investigating? And we, you know, we don't need uh, an exhaustive list here, but are we talking about guns, money laundering? What, what kind of stuff were you looking at? Drugs? Right. So the, the primary activity is all drug-related. Okay. So people buying and people selling drugs online, there is a, a much smaller proportion of Weapons being traded back and forth, but that's about it. A lot of these darkman markets, uh, funnily enough, are a little bit have an ethical stance on what they will, what type of products they will allow on their markets. And I believe that some of those markets they're there because they are, I guess, pro drugs, mm-hmm. and they just want a market, or they want a market where people can buy and sell uh, drugs um, without any. Uh, without any law enforcement interfering. Mm. So that, that was a, the primary activity was drug-related and, and a, a slice of, of illegal weapons as well. Right. So, I mean, you have guys out there who want to sell like the cleanest, purest form of whatever drug they're selling. And it's sort of self-regulating. If other people are trying to get into other illicit stuff on their self-policing members of the group will say like, no, this is a drug form. Like we're not going to be using this for X, Y, or Z. Is that sort of what, what you're saying? Like they're dedicated forums that are sort of policed um, internally by the overlords or or whatever they're called right. of, of these if, forums. Right. If you, if you were to put it together with something that we have in the real world, think of it as like an eBay, mm-hmm. right? If you, if you put up something up for sale on eBay that really eBay is not okay with, well, they'd probably take down your listing. Right. And it's similar here. Someone owns this darknet market. and if you Like post, like an assassination or something. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Funnily enough, some of them do allow assassinations, oh. well. yeah. <laughs> uh, which is some of the darker stuff. I should, but, I should watch my back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But no, 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 no. Look, it's 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 all very interesting, and it 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 begs the question now too of like how much worse has this gotten? The you know you submitted the paper in 2017, came out in 2019. As you've just said, um, the volume of illicit activity has uh, gone significantly up. But you know, one interesting thing you talk about in the paper is. Like you can't just look at absolute numbers. You need to look at proportions. Um, and as the volume of illicit activity has gone up, so has all crypto activity. And as sort of crypto has begun to uh, 
sort of become more mainstream, everyone, you know, everyone and the grandmother is into crypto these days, uh, the actual proportion of illegal activity has gone down, it seems like. Could you talk a little bit about that, John? Yeah, that, that's correct. So the, the proportion of illegal activity has gone down. But when we look at in absolute terms, the number or the amount of activity without uh, thinking about the legal activity, well, then that is still rising. Mm. And it's it simply stems from, you know, regular regular people wanting to get in and invest in cryptocurrencies. Mm. Back in 2017 or 2016, it was only, you know, tech-savvy people that went to it. Today, you talk to your housemate who has nothing to do with cryptocurrencies. Mm. He's probably investing in it, and he probably knows nothing about investing whatsoever. He's just read on some post somewhere on Facebook that he should invest in this in exciting right. new cryptocurrency. Right? Yeah. So um, one of my colleagues has this thing that he usually says, which is once you're a cab driver or a person on the street starts telling you what to invest in, that's the time to get out. Yeah. Because that's the time that the information is already out there. Mm. And at this point, you know, cryptocurrencies, it's, uh, it's not the good old days where you could buy a Bitcoin for cents on the dollar. Yeah, yeah, the whole like wild gold rush speculative yeah. period is over. Well, I mean, you still have shit coins being pumped. I had some friends a couple of weeks ago who launched a coin called BBC, Big Black Coin, mm-hmm. um, which was a bit of a joke. Um, but you know, they, you know, it rose and fell dramatically in value. As a lot of these coin diarrhea coin, um, whatnot. Uh, I don't actually I haven't seen the graphs on diarrhea coin, but you see a lot of these new coins being being minted every day. I guess, uh, you know, it's funny you should bring up the example of when your taxi driver starts talking about it, that's probably time to get out. I remember seeing a bus, uh, like an ad, an advertisement on a bus or something that was like, if you're reading an advertisement about Bitcoin on this, you know, on this public bus, it's probably time to buy. Um, but, you know, you're saying the opposite. It's like, it's actually probably time to sell the the, the secrets out. This is no longer uh, a speakeasy. Everyone, everyone can line up and uh, and walk right in after scanning their QR code, of course, seeing mm-hmm. as we're in Sydney. Um, <laughs> but uh, no, I mean it, it's fascinating too. People might look at you know absolute crime. You know, there's there's this thing in in um, Bayesian reasoning called base rate neglect. And it's, you know, people like look at the, say, 25% of all people are do this or have this or X, Y, Z. And it's like, okay, you know, that sounds like a lot, but you know, like what's the base rate? And so this is, this is a slightly related, you know, related. We were, we had a guy on, on Jonathan Kay's podcast. He's my colleague uh, last week talking about this. And I guess this just makes me think so, somebody might look at the absolute numbers of crime uh, or of illicit activity in, you know, crypto going up and think, oh, crypto, crypto is just um, a means of doing illegal activity. But as you said, it has also gone more mainstream. Your flatmates, your housemates, your grandmother, everyone has has crypto now as well. So the proportion itself has gone down. It's not just that crime is exploding through the roof. It would be misleading to just to state that without also recognizing that. The, you know the the volume of the whole market has 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 increased, so the, the proportion goes down. That's correct. Uh, there there is a lot more legal activity in it now, but the legal activity that we're seeing is also a little bit worrisome mm. because the legal activity, as you said, is speculation, and it's uh, mainly uninformed speculation. Mm. So it's people that 
basically just read something as you said on a bus and they go in and invest. If you were a regular investor in the normal financial market, what you do is read an annual report of a company and try to figure out what they're going to do next if a new pattern has come out or something is interesting to look into. With cryptocurrencies, it's almost become, I believe, kind of a little bit of a gamble. Uh, people invest more, in, more than a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah pe- people go in and, and think that they're actually investing their, their money in a safe, and I don't know if they think it's safe, but definitely they think it's a good investment which isn't necessarily the case with some of those those cryptocurrencies. I think what a, a lot of people sort of have this idea that crypto is is the you know the future everyone's using it, banks are starting to have crypto desks. It's it's super safe and to to a large extent like I you know I don't personally believe like Bitcoin Bitcoin is going if you're going to put your money in any kind of crypto Bitcoin is probably like the the torchbearer like the the OG crypto but it is still whether it's bitcoin or or any of the other you know thousand thousands of coins that exist um it is fundamentally speculative and i think that you know we talk about when you're investing in a company you look at fundamentals as you've as you've just described it seems in many ways that the so-called fundamentals of crypto in a lot of ways are a lot of the time completely divorced from their actual valuation. And well, first of all, how do you even go about thinking of what are the fundamentals of of a of a coin of a particular coin? And second of all, do you think that we just have sort of runaway valuation that is totally separate from the fundamentals, or what? What? How is that relationship played out? Right. So I haven't really written any papers about the valuation of cryptocurrencies. However. As I said before, what we've noticed is there's a lot of noise trading going on, a lot of uninformed trading. Regarding the fundamentals, if you look at it from, as we talked about before, from an investment standpoint of investing in a company, you look at their operations and mm-hmm. see you know, what's going on under the hood or what is the value of this thing. However, there are companies, and I'm sorry to keep pulling it over to companies, but that's the way that you know, I sure. like to compare it, yeah. is if you think about a new startup, a new tech startup, there aren't a lot of fundamentals that you can see there because it might just be two guys working out of their garage. Right. And you don't know if they're going to create the new big tech thing or not. And that, I believe, is to some extent the same with cryptocurrencies that we could say maybe they're very, very overvalued, but they may also be undervalued. We just It's just really, really hard to price them because the information signal isn't very strong. Right. Um, no, that makes sense. I guess, you know, all of this too sort of begins circling around the question or getting towards the question of regulation. You know, to what extent should cryptocurrencies be regulated? You know, how does the the proportion of illegal activity sort of figure into that? How does the, you know, I, I guess, you know, maybe just talk to me a little bit about different approaches to regulation that um, could be implemented in the cryptocurrency market. All right. So I'd like to focus on the illegal activity. Okay. You'd regulate something. On like the that. illegal activity. Illegal activity. Yes. Yeah. What you usually do in, in regular financial markets is that there's a lot of weird stuff going on, such as insider trading and market manipulation, pretty uh, bad stuff in the market. What uh, regulators do is that they recognize that they can't catch every single person that's doing it. Sometimes they can't pick it, pick up on it. They can't find it. And also, even if they have evidence of illegal activity going on, it's pretty hard to make. They may, may not have enough information to bring to court. 
I believe they picked the ones that really set an example to the rest of the market that this this type of activity is simply not accepted and people will you know receive pretty extensive fines. And I think that's already what we're kind of seeing in the crypto market that these uh, law enforcement agencies are picking up on on the big fish, you know, to set an example to the rest of the market that, uh, that this activity is unacceptable. I mean, if you think about someone like Ross Ulbricht, who started the Silk Road, mm. I believe he's still in prison. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got, probably going to stay there for the rest of his life. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think to an extent, he also did some very bad things, but it's probably also a signal to the rest of the market that this is simply not acceptable uh, activity. Right. No, I mean, and that begins to make sense. I guess I guess the one question is, and I don't know if you would even be able to answer this, is there's sort of an evolving nature of what what is legal, what is it? Like you look at something like insider trading, for example. You look at some of these shit coins that are like pumped and dumped very quickly. Pumping and dumping stocks, I mean, can be a crime. And so I guess, you know, when you when you think about how to regulate crypto, some countries have taken a blanket approach. China, for example, went and just like banned all all crypto. So where how do you go about thinking of of drawing the line? Or is that that's not your place to say that's for each each government and regulatory body to decide for themselves? Well, I think any yeah, any any government or regulatory body would say illegal activity is unacceptable. Right. And But, but the, there's a difference between some kid selling weed out of his room in Milwaukee and, you know, two guys uh, conspiring to, you know, fix the price. An attempt or something. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah. yeah. Well, there is, but that's probably also, they've also drawn the line there probably. I yeah. mean, if you, uh, if you could call it... I guess the, proportional punishment. Punishment exactly. proportional yeah, to the crime. Exactly, yeah. But when you when you think about yeah, I guess all all illegal activity will need to be regulated to some capacity, and that the punishment should be should fit the crime. Yeah, yeah. I think someone uh, doing an assassination or orchestrating a, an assassination on the the darknet would get a vastly different um, punishment than someone selling drugs, right? Selling weed. Is is there a thing that you can do in cryptocurrency? I'm not sure where like someone could be wrongfully convicted or wrongfully blamed or quote unquote set up or framed where some hackers or whatever make it look like someone else were had ordered an assassination attempt when actually they had nothing to do with it. Have you ever heard of that happening or is that that's totally divorced from your area of, of expertise? I haven't I haven't heard anything of that. I don't think that cryptocurrencies or blockchain technology would necessarily enable that more than just someone framing someone outside of that that area. Right. It's um, not as if it's easier to do that. I don't think so. Uh, no. I would think it might be. Yeah, I okay. mean, because it's behind a screen. You can have, you can put the, the other person's IP address in. Mind you, I, have, I don't have a very right. uh, robust technical background in mm. terms of blockchain dynamics. Right. <laughs> but but you, the, the whole... The pretty neat thing about blockchain technology is that your, you know, your addresses, like kind of your accounts or whatever you think about uh, Bitcoin, they they belong to you, and mm. no one else has really has access to them. So I can't really think of a way right now that someone would frame someone else because you 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 have that private key to your Bitcoin. So if someone if someone was was going to do it, they they would need somehow to access that, and and that isn't that's not possible. Um, yet, that, yet, <laughs> but that is one of one of the neat things is that you know, with with blockchain technology, is that you, the system makes sure that 
no one else has access to your 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 cryptocurrencies or your data or anything else that you you know you store on a blockchain. It's only who, whoever um, who owns it who, who truly has it. You know, uh, right up until the point that I walk into your apartment and steal your laptop. That's correct, but that is that's correct. Yeah. So yeah. Nice old smash and grab strategy. Yeah, I have to remember to lock my door next time. <laughs> yeah, I, I should probably put a little lock on my computer as well. <laughs> Save the 50 bitcoins I bought in uh, 2011. I'm kidding. I did oh, yeah? it for anyone's. <laughs> anyone. I wish I had. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I had. My friend actually, we were in seventh or eighth grade or something. I must have been like 14, something like that. He wanted to buy a Bitcoin miner on eBay. And, you know, um, we were talking all about this, uh, and we couldn't get our parents to to give us money to buy this Bitcoin mining machine. They thought it was just a waste. And to be honest, you know, he's buying a Bitcoin miner off. I had no idea if this thing would actually work. But uh, this was we were watching all these, you know, old uh, find. This is right around the time that I think uh, the Wolf of Wall Street came out. Or no, no, that came later actually. But we were we were watching these movies, and we we're thinking, oh, we're gonna we're gonna buy this Bitcoin miner. Where this this is like our goal and goose we didn't end up doing it um but i just i wonder now what would have happened if we had and we had even just gotten like one we had mined one bitcoin each back in 2011 or 2013 or whatever this was uh i know i yeah 2013 14 something like that but then again everyone probably thinks that way yeah but i mean that that's the same with regular investments as well there are, sure and sure. and you know I remember that same situation for me when my buddy told me that there was something called Bitcoin and I also kind of just laughed at him. I yeah. thought it was really weird. And also I didn't really take him seriously. <laughs> but my my friends and your friends probably as well tell you a lot of really stupid things that you never should invest in. Right. And they never went anywhere. But the things that you usually remember are the things that went well. Right. And, the, you know, the chances that you didn't right. uh, you, take. Yeah. Exactly. No, I mean, it's a psychological bias. We only yeah. remember the one thing we yeah. we missed out on, not the, the other billion things that we yeah. could have invested in that didn't work. There's a good line from Miracle. Uh, it's a hockey movie. I don't know if you've seen it. It's an old American hockey movie. And this guy spends his whole life being upset that I think it's from Miracle. If I'm if I'm not, the audience might murder me. But uh, and, you know, there's there's blockchain technology for that. I'm kidding. Please don't murder me. There is uh, um, there's a line from Miracle with this guy spending, you know, he's in his 40s at this point and he's all upset that that he missed like the the shot, the the final shot in the hockey game. It was like a shootout where he could, you know, shoot freely on the goalie. Um and he missed by, you know, uh a, he hit the the rim of the goal. Like he hit the hockey goal and the puck went off in the other direction. And he's all upset about this for 15 years, 20 years, something like that. Um, and then some kid says to him one day, like, or, or whoever said to him in the movie, you spent like 15 years thinking about how if you had hit the shot a quarter of an inch to the left, that the goal would have gone in and you guys would have been the champions and you know, you would have had your medal and celebrated and all of that. What you didn't think about is that if you had hit that shot just you know, half an inch to the right, or a quarter of an inch to the right, you would have missed completely. And I, you know, I thought that's funny because where we spend all this time—I don't know if it was from Miracle or the Mighty Ducks or something—but we spend all this time agonizing over like what might have been, what could have been. There's that famous um, Kurt Vonnegut quote, which is a, a bastardization of a Maud Muller poem. That's of all the words of mice and men, the saddest star it might have been. And, you know, that's true. It certainly hits home in terms of like human emotions. We're always like 
upset about what we missed out on. But if we had, you know, if he had hit the shot a quarter of an inch to the right, he would have missed missed completely. So we think if only I had gotten in to Bitcoin, I would have made all this money. Yeah, but if you had put all your money in, you know, some other coin that was around at the time that ended up failing, you also would have lost all your money. So I don't know what what the bias, the biasy or fallacy or whatever it's called, but the human mind is an interesting way of looking at things. It is, yeah. But it, I mean, because personally, I don't, I have no problem with investments in in cryptocurrencies. What I think is a little bit worrisome is that people that don't, or, or individuals that don't take the time to investigate what they're investing in, mm. and simply look at past trends to forecast what's going to happen in the future. So they'll look at a graph and they'll say, "Wow, cryptocurrencies have been going up lately. They must must go up in the future." <laughs> now we know of several times that, that 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 hasn't happened in a financial market where it's gone the other way around. The more, market, more than several, yeah. yeah, right. That wasn't a good time for anyone. Um, so it's a big no-no in finance to look at past trends to kind of try and forecast the future. If you have a completely efficient market, that can't happen. Um, now, with cryptocurrencies, yeah, it's it's just a little bit unfortunate, I think. I'm that, sorry, it can happen, but it will be self-corrected by the market. It will, yeah. Speculative bubbles can 100% happen in they an efficient happen. market. Yeah, but if you have if you have enough informed traders in there, they will correct that away. Right. right. They'll take away if there's any mispricing in there that they can they can use to profit, they'll take it and do it. It's a little a little, little bit strange with uh, with cryptocurrencies and and it's a little bit worrisome that uh, I think so many individuals pour so much of their hard-earned money into it without really taking the time to maybe understand the what's under the hood, right? I would need to do some more research into this, but my preliminary sense, having been in Australia for almost two years now, is that those investing in the Sydney real estate market might take a page out of the same book and carefully investigate whether they should be pouring all of their money into these investment properties. Maybe. I mean... Again, uh, have, I haven't done that much research on this, but there does seem to be a bit of a craze with housing perhaps, in Sydney. Perhaps not. I mean, I've, you know... I have a, a friend as well that I keep worrying about with his investments in real estate, but he keeps making money every year and I don't. Mm. So I don't know who's the fool. Uh, I certainly don't have a bank account like his. Him right now. So <laughs> I guess, uh, I guess we'll find out. <laughs> guess we'll find out. Yeah. You know, one, one other thing I want to talk to you about is the methodology that you used in yeah. this paper. I found it to be especially interesting in particular, you know, you used network cluster analyses and then also detection controlled estimation. Um, so why don't we start with network cluster analyses or SLMs is, is you know, um, was the type that you were using in the paper. Um, why don't you talk to us at a high level about what this was, how you used it, why you used it, and then how whether a law enforcement agency or whoever might might use it in the future. So just at a high level, what are what are network cluster analyses? Right. So our, I'll speak to our network cluster analysis. What it does is it tries to identify a network of people uh, transacting with each other. So what we did was we looked at if people are transacting with uh, predominantly with known illegal participants, then it's quite likely that they're illegal as well. So say that an individual has been caught by the FBI. You know, we know that their address is associated with legal activity because the FBI has caught them and they find them. Well, if a lot of individuals that haven't been caught happen to be sending cryptocurrencies to that individual, 
more than anyone else in the network, it's quite likely or more likely than not that they are associated with illegal activity. And that's kind of the intuition behind the model. Our, the way that, we, of course, there are a lot of users in there. So to make that decision uh, on a user-by-user -user basis would take a very, very long time. But what you have is you have a, a good computer working on this problem. It picks up every single user and it looks at what community, the illegal or the legal, mm. how much, if it's predominantly transacting with the illegal or legal community and mm. assigning uh, whether or not that, that person is probabilistically more illegal than not. Yeah. Right. So that's, that's the network clustering algorithm. The other one, the uh, detection controlled estimation model, is quite popular in different areas of research. Uh, Professor Talis Putnins used it for to look into market manipulation. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Feinstein from New York University used it to look at safety violations in uh, nuclear power plants. Mm -hmm. So whenever you tackle uh, what this dot model does is it, it looks at what we the call... DCE, the DCE, the detection control yeah, estimation. DCE model. It yeah. looks at, uh, or it corrects for, whenever you have a sample or, or an incomplete sample. Mm. So in the case of, you know, when you tackle a problem like legal activity in cryptocurrencies, mm. the problem is that the, the sample that you have of known illegal users are the only the users that have been caught. You don't know right. anything about anyone else. So if yeah. you... If you ran a multiple regression on something like that, you would only get out characteristics of people that have been caught, not everyone else. Mm. So if you think about that in another scenario, uh, if you ran a model in burglars and you put characteristics of what a burglar is, you know, someone maybe with lower income or things like that, uh, well, then you would only get the characteristics of the burglar that had been caught and right. the one that's still out there, the smart mm. one, who may even have high income because he's very, very good at it. Yeah. Um, so the detection control estimation model runs two regressions simultaneously, one that accounts for characteristics of illegal activity and one that accounts for being detected or not. And that way it corrects for this incomplete detection. Mm. I can no. speak to some of the characteristics if you're interested. No, Are sure. Just just to make sure I'm yeah. understanding this. Go ahead, yeah. um, it's, it's basically... If you were just running one regression, yeah. you would you would end up with a sample size of only the people who are caught. And so, when you run multi, when you run simultaneous regressions at the same time, you're able to extrapolate information sort of about the aggregate from your small sample size. In this case, which was only the people who are caught with their hands in the cookie jar. That's correct. <laughs> Pardon the cookie metaphor. Um, I would be interested in some of these characteristics if you if you'd like to get into that. Yeah. I, th I think you know. First of all, the first the first result. And, and what are we talking about here? Also, to begin with, characteristics well, of of people trading drugs or yeah. guns or yeah. everything. Correct. Yeah. So no, what all of them or one or the other? Uh, people that transact uh, drugs and weapons. So okay. these are the main main participants. Um, well, what what came out of the model, I think, was quite quite interesting and quite intuitive as well. So what we find was the characteristic of an illegal user is that whenever the FBI or law enforcement agencies uh, raids one of these darknet markets, they start becoming very active. Mm. And the reason is that they are probably pretty worried that they might get hit yet next and the FBI will take all their cryptocurrencies and maybe catch them. So what they do is they might use uh, a lot of tumbling, right? Hide their cryptocurrencies in the network. They might allocate their cryptocurrencies over to another darknet market where they can purchase the, the goods that they need. 
uh, while someone that is not a legal user wouldn't care, right? If you think about you as a legal user and you've invested in Bitcoin, you're not buying drugs or weapons or anything. You're simply just sitting there with a Bitcoin hoping, looking at computer screen, hoping <laughs> that that graph will go up. Mm. Well, if someone hits the uh, a darknet market, are you going to start getting worried and start moving cryptocurrencies around? No, you're not because that has nothing to do with you. Your cryptocurrencies aren't more likely to get seized just because the darknet market got hit. Right. That's one of the things. Another thing, and I think this is quite intuitive as well, is that we've noticed that cryptocurrencies, well, at least Bitcoin, what was made to transact, right? Mm. But most people invest in them, which is also kind of strange. Right. Right. So, so what we'll higher see Higher volatility is, is more proportional to... Well, volatility, but... Also, Not volatility. I mean, transaction. Volatility. I mean, vol exactly. like oscillating, yeah. you trading all the time. Exactly. Who's 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 you yeah. know trading all the time is totally. the people who need to be moving it around. Someone like uh, if you you know you as an investor, if you're investing in cryptocurrencies, what will happen? Well, we'll see one transaction probably. Right. One transaction. You buying the cryptocurrencies and then you're sitting by a screen and waiting for that graph to go up. Yeah. While uh, someone who's buying drugs online will continuously transact. Probably with all the also the same user because he's buying that user might be the darknet market, right? Right. So a high transactional frequency, also smaller amounts, mm -hmm. right? Someone who's investing in Bitcoin might put ten grand in to invest in Bitcoin, yeah. or someone who, who's buying drugs might, I don't know, put a hundred dollars or maybe a couple hundred, something like that. Mm. Yeah. I, I guess I understand this. You know, these are the characteristics, and you find it, and then you can identify a sample size or whatever if you're the some law enforcement agency and then you know who to look for kind of thing. How do you unmask? How do you de-anonymize these people? So, okay, so what? I have, you know, just a bunch of numbers on the screen. How do I know who it actually corresponds to? Right. So let's just take it step by step real yeah. quickly. What happens is as law enforcement agencies, you have one of those neat models. Mm -hmm. You run it through that entire network. And then you've got a probability score for every single user in the network of how likely they are to be uh, into legal activity or not. Yeah. Someone gets maybe a score of like 97%. Yeah. You say, I want to look into this guy. Well, you can track through the network and see when did he buy his Bitcoin? Because there's a complete, uh, you, can, you can look at where did his Bitcoin first arrive from, right? The moment that he bought the Bitcoin from the exchange. Mm. Then you can contact the exchange and ask the exchange who is this individual. And they have, some of these exchanges have, you know, what's called know your customer, uh, uh, things in there to make sure that they know what, what is that what is KYC my... it's it's regulation to make sure that you uh, know who you're dealing with hmm. so the exchanges may already have information on every single individual that is transacting with them so if a lawyer if a lawyer for if, if the FBI for instance you know knocked on the door of one of the exchanges they go this guy looks really really dodgy he's got a 97% score of uh, illegal activity we're pretty sure he's into some bad stuff Please tell us exactly who this individual is. We know you know because he's already maybe put in his his personal information into into your system to buy Bitcoin. What's to stop this exchange? Say I don't know Binance or whoever from shutting the door right in the FBI agent's face. How do you get a subpoena or a warrant or whatever you want to call it into this? I thought there was no very little oversight and regulation. Yeah, but I think. The interesting thing is that... Are, they, some, are you saying the exchanges want to cooperate so that they, yeah. you know, that, that they're not being invested? They want to seem, they want to cooperate. Yeah. I mean, I don't think any, any instit no institution wants to be associated with legal activity. Mm. Some of these exchanges get a pretty bad rep because they are a little bit more dark. You know, some of the ones in Russia, are, some of them are pretty dodgy. Mm. Uh, but... 
The other ones are trying to run a business. And if law enforcement knocks on their door and they don't really cooperate well, then they probably start getting a pretty bad rep of, you know, being into some pretty bad stuff. Not only that, it's also in there. But if that is their business, then they wouldn't care. Business, they, it's probably they, good for the street cred. If, they, if that is their business, then they don't care. But mm. of course, uh, I think a lot of them are, are, are not. They're are right. not in that business. Yeah. 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 I guess, um, you know, beginning to, to sort of wrap up here. One thing I think about sometimes is whether we will ever live in a post-crypto world, by which I mean, you know, are we going to get to a, a period um, or a point in time where the crypto bubble bursts and crypto plays no meaningful roles in our lives? Um, I guess you have a few people who've like thrown out their iPhones and, you know, lived the, the you know, Himalayan backpacker lifestyle, but for, I would say, normal average everyday citizens in metropolitan areas, is it your opinion that you and I in our lifetimes will live in a world where we don't really talk about or think about crypto? Or is it quite quite the contrary? Crypto with the metaverse and you know all of that is just going to play an increasingly large role in everybody's life? Well, I would say that Cryptocurrencies will play a big role in lives in the future, but not only cryptocurrencies. If you think about it, Bitcoin was only like the, the snowball that started the whole thing, because today you have something like that's called decentralized finance. When you look at what we call tokenizing a lot of different asset classes that we couldn't tokenize before. So what we mean by tokenizing, if you if you think in financial market, is to make them kind of like what looks like a stock. So you can trade all these things that you couldn't trade before, right? And essentially, that is for the common good of everyone. It's almost a revolution like when we had uh, stock markets that became electronically available to everyone, you know? So I think the interesting thing is that cryptocurrencies get such a big focus, but actually the underlying or all these new things that are pop popping up that can happen in this universe of blockchain technology uh, are going to shape our future, and uh, that's when I, you know, I'd like to, you know, talk about the Digital Finance Cooperative Research Center. Such a long name, DFCSC. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that is uh, that is mouthful. An, yeah, that's an institution that got 180 million dollars from the uh, from some industry partners and the Australian government to research this space because the Australian government and these research partners are certain that to some extent it will be part of our future, mm -hmm. and we want to be ahead of the curve with this one. So cryptocurrencies, sure, they'll be around probably, uh, but there's all this other stuff that's going on that blockchain and uh, technology enables us to do, this decentralization of so many different things. Such um, as, I mean, you think of NFTs as the, right. the first example, but what are some decentralization of what, for example? Well, if you think about, um, you know, tokenize, tokenizing things. Um, we're looking into perhaps tokenizing more of the real estate market. You're just talking about real estate <laughs> in a negative light, but to the point where it is much easier to trade. Uh, same with the mining industry in Australia as well, tokenizing that so you can perhaps invest in one particular mine. Right? And at the end of the day, it the way that it, it helps us all is that it, it creates funding <laughs> for businesses or, you know, that 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 will you know grow an economy and grow our overall wealth. So you don't it, need crypt. You don't need decentralized blockchain technology for that, though. You do to some extent because the stock market is not good enough uh, or is not equipped enough 
to make an asset class out of every single little thing. Right. The uh, the blockchain is right because it's a lot cheaper to do so. For instance, so all these things that we weren't able to trade before, we can now we we might be able to trade in the future. Mm. And uh, and once again, if we think about like you know in a in a positive light, you think oh gee. Now there's just more finance dudes out there that can trade more. They're just going to make a lot of money and sit in their big houses. Well, that's not necessarily true. Whenever, whenever we get better in our financial markets at moving capital back and forth, that's when we grow, uh, all of us, that's when economies grow. And that's maybe why also funding comes to some of the poorer parts of the, uh, of the world, right? Countries where you can't get um, a loan for your house because you're... Your your country might be war torn, right? There isn't a there isn't a bank that 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 that's able to give you a loan. Mm. So it, it just yeah that, that that that's that's one of the things that I'm really excited about with, with this technology. No, certainly, and I I think there are a lot of upsides to it. I I guess my one not to be a cynic here, um, but my one reservation might be, you know, the the gambling aspect of it. You look at you look at guys um, who are, are lifelong gamblers, rounders, and they, you know, they'll gamble on anything. They'll bet on anything. They'll bet on, you know, whether you're going to see a green car driving up the street, and that's what they do. So you have this technology that enables you to invest in basically anything. I guess the one downside to that it might be that people start, you know, with with this decentralization, just investing in literally everything. I you think know. You're, 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 you're absolutely correct. And it becomes increasingly hard for regulators to step in because they've been able to do that, for instance, in stock markets and say, no, 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 you're not allowed to invest here because you're a retail investor and you don't really know what you're doing. For instance, you might not be able to short a stock, right. Right, which would you lose all your money, uh, perhaps lose all your money. But yeah, of course, in, in, in cryptos or in these de- decentralized networks, maybe there might not be a regulator in place to take care of you. But then it also, you know, goes back to uh, I think something that you and I spoke about at one point is the the age old question about regulation. If right, how much do you want to take care? Like how much personal responsibility, personal responsi- and agency, yeah, personal responsibility, and you know, it's it is really treating treating people like children to tell yes. them you can't do this, you can't do that, right? I agree, uh, but uh, it's a it's a really weird question. I don't know. I mean, there are a lot of people out there that. You know, for instance, they go into casinos and gamble all their life savings away and their children's tuition for university and everything. And maybe there should be regulation in, in place for that, right? And there is with casinos. But if they're now able to do that in, in cryptocurrency markets uh, unchecked, well, then, yeah, we might see some suffering from that. Certainly, yeah. I think I think we might. I'm of the belief that, you know, I'm a great believer in personal responsibility and you know owning your own agency and so you know I, I can certainly see an argument as as you and I have discussed for not hand-holding and not you know treat you know basically treating adults like adults on the other hand the scenario you've just described of the guy who walks in and you know empties his his kid's college fund onto you know a game of backgammon that's not a good situation either. So I tend to lean more into the personal responsibility, lower regulation category. Who? That's who probably who, because you're a responsible person. Right? <laughs> I don't you know, know. But, you know, who am I to tell you how you should be investing? Yeah. On the other hand, I can see the backgammon situation is tragic. I just think it's a slippery slope and it's not necessarily my place to prevent you from playing backgammon if that's what you really want to do. 
Yeah. But then you can also, you know, with the example that we came up with, there are some people out there that will suffer, although they didn't engage in the activity. So with our example there of the man that goes in and gambles all his money away, he's not only gambling his money away, he's gambling maybe his wife, wife's money away mm. and his children's money away. And they will all be in poverty now because of his actions. And those individuals didn't sign up for that. So, but yeah, I guess that's, that's with so many other things. But this is, I guess this is an age-old question, how much you regulate. And I know that this is something that, reg I, I worked for a regulator in the chief economist department in the UK, and it's something that they constantly uh, make sure to question themselves about, like how much do we baby and how much do we step away? How much do we protect and how much do we let the market do its own thing? And that's uh, it's always the question. It's, it's hard to get right all the time. And it's also a matter of opinion, as we've just noticed with you, right? Like you, you certainly have an opinion on the matter. I'm a free market capitalist. Yeah. Um, but, oh, but I'm a free market capitalist. I fall into the the Hayek camp. Yeah. But, but you're um, certainly also, also worried about the, the man who went and gambled away all his... Uh, is it emotionally disturbing to me? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Do I think that adults should be treated like adults? Mm -hmm. Also, yes. So, look, I'm not... Um, the chief economist of anything, mm -hmm. but um, or or the head of a regulatory body. Mm -hmm. Personally, um, I would tend to lean in, in in one direction more than another. But again, you know, it depends what issue we're talking about. I would need data in front of me to yeah. make an to make Except an informed decision. This yeah. is also, you know, my my opinion, not the the, the editorial position of of exactly. Colette or your opinion or anyone right. else's. But interesting, interesting stuff. To think about. Yeah, definitely. Anyway, Jonathan Carlson, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast. Pleasure. Um, I guess, lastly, I'll just ask, is there anything we haven't covered that you'd like to chat about or you think this uh, fills the jar? Well, I think there's a lot we haven't covered, but we don't we don't have days to, uh, to do this. Unfortunately so, uh, not. Yeah. Unfortunately um, not. I, I think the main point here is that, first of all, we see a lot of illegal activity that is increasing in these uh, cryptocurrencies. However, that is just one side of the coin. You know, there's a lot of positive that I don't mean to, you know, call uh, cryptocurrencies a blockchain technology necessarily negatively. Uh, there are a lot of other positive sides. This is just one aspect that uh, we need to be mindful of and we need to take care of like anything else. Illegal activity will always exist to some extent. It always does. Um, it's just about how to manage it. I think we, we covered some interesting stuff. That's for sure. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for coming on, John.